Today on a very special edition of Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, Stodola, Sabin, and Scott. Three different perspectives on being the mayor of Little Rock, Arkansas. Mark Stodola was the mayor. Warwick Sabin ran to be the mayor. And Frank Scott is the mayor. Let's hear perspectives from all three on today's Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. If you're a regular listener to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, you know she always begins the program with a profile of her guest, the beginnings of their lives. Let's do that with Mark Stodola, who served as mayor of Little Rock from 2007 to 2018, Warwick Sabin, who ran for mayor in 2018, and Frank Scott, who became mayor in that election in 2018. First up, Mark Stodola. Mark Stodola graduated from the University of Iowa with a double major in political science and journalism. He received his law degree from the University of Arkansas School of Law in Fayetteville. So I gather from your double major choices in journalism and political science that you always wanted to be in politics. Am I right? Well, I think public service is probably a more appropriate way to characterize that. I'm not sure that um, politics is uh, the first definition I'd give to it, but certainly um, um, you have an opportunity in public service to do it through uh, through elective politics, and uh, I've been fortunate to uh, uh, be involved and to serve in a couple of different capacities in an elected position, and I've been excited to do that. I think uh, public service is a, um, a great honor, and I'm so very thankful to the citizens for giving me the opportunity to, to try and hopefully use some of my leadership skills to move the city uh, forward and uh, really my desire has always been to make Little Rock the next great American city in the south and that requires facing problems head on and facing challenges and also recognizing successes and so I think we've had we certainly have all of the above and uh, can, and we always will as a city any big urban city has all of those kinds of things they have great successes they have challenges they have problems that need to be solved and uh, so uh, I'm just fortunate to be in a position where hopefully I can lend some talent and some direction to try and uh, take us forward. You're very ambitious. You went to be, I mean, not a, not only having a double major, but you then went and got a law degree. Why? Yes, that was... Um, Why? You know, when you look back at that, I only think of the... <laughs> I only think of the favorable fun things. I don't... <laughs> you know, somehow you block all of the horrible all-night studies, all of the stresses of the one exam that your whole grade rests on. Uh, the law, the bar exam that you got to pass, uh, which thankfully I passed the first occasion. Um, but yeah, you don't you don't remember all the all the stresses that there were, but there certainly were. Uh, but yeah, I and you know I think the law is a great vehicle to to understand um, our system of democracy. Um, not everybody does, and certainly in this uh, climate, political climate, I'm not sure. I'm not sure how much people pay attention to what the law really is, but the rule of law is very important. It provides a framework of discipline for responsibility and for making sure that uh, hopefully everybody's on an equal playing field. And I know whether it's on issues of race, whether it's on issues of poverty or income, um, a, a lot of people are not on the same level of opportunity. And so part of our job as, as public servants is to try and do what we can to keep some doors open or make sure those doors stay open to give people an opportunity uh, to maximize their own talents. Was your were your parents civic minded? Uh, my mother's a school teacher, so certainly yes, absolutely. And uh, my father was a um, um, he actually was in sales most of his life, so he was a great communicator. So when you got out of high school or college, I mean, out of law school, you went you started a, you went into law private practice, and you became the senior partner at. What was it, Catlett and Stodolo? Well, that was uh, that was a while back. I'd, I've done a lot of things professionally. I mean, when I first um, I moved from uh, Fayetteville to uh, Little Rock, and I wanted to be a I wanted to be a, a deputy prosecutor. I wanted to be a trial lawyer, and um, those positions were pretty pretty coveted. I didn't grow up in Little Rock, so I didn't have anybody opening any doors for me. And um, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Cedar Rapids, Iowa. When I, I was oh, that's why you went to Minnesota, there. Minnesota, raised in Iowa, and when I got old enough to make decisions. I moved to Arkansas. You're so, kidding me. Yeah. So you came to Arkansas for the first time when you were at Fayetteville? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Why did you choose Fayetteville? Uh, well, um, I was in, oh, golly, you can get the history line. History That's what I want. Here. Yeah. Well, I was in, um, I, I was uh, at the University of Iowa, and um, 
I was in Air Force ROTC. I wanted to be a pilot. I even wanted to be an astronaut. And I was a congressional nominee to the Air Force Academy uh, my senior year in high school. And I had been a foreign exchange student uh, through the American Field Service Program and lived in Istanbul, Turkey, which was really a wonderful eye-opening experience uh, as a 17-year-old, you can imagine. Uh, when I came back, I, I took uh, I was a congressional nominee and went to off at Air Force Base to take the physical, passed the physical, but they said, well, you have, I had my, I got mononucleosis because um, you know, my system was weak that, you know, and in my senior year, and I was out for, I guess, two or three weeks. And they said, well, we'd, we'd love to take you um, at the Air Force Academy, but we can't because you've had mono and you've got to wait at least a year. Uh, so I thought, well, okay. So I went on to the University of Iowa, and I was in the Air Force ROTC there, and I was in my flight, and I was the flight nominee to the Air Force Academy. And uh, I went and took the exam again, and uh, they said, well, uh, we'd love to take you, but uh, we can't make you a pilot. You've got 20-20 in one eye and 20-25. I had an astigmatism in my right eye. Of course, I could see perfectly. And I said, what do you mean? What's an astigmatism? And uh, they said, well, I'm sorry, but, you know, you got to have perfect eyesight to, 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 to fly. And uh, so you can't be a pilot, but by golly, you knocked it out on navigation. I mean, you got 99.9 on navigation. We want you to be a navigator. And I said, well, where does the navigator sit? And they said, well, the navigator sits right behind the pilot. <laughs> and I said, well, if, if I can't fly the plane, I'm not going to do that. So anyway, I went in. Uh, to the third category, which are all the social sciences and things like that. And I'd been thinking about being a lawyer anyway, and I just knew that that probably meant I wasn't going to make it a career. Uh, so I went into the Air Force uh, uh, and um, thought if I'm going to be a if I'm going to uh, if I'm going to be involved in this, then I, I don't want to be on the ground. I want to be in the Air Force so that if I you know it's harder to shoot you down. If you're in the, the if you're in the air, yeah. Uh, and I thought being a being an officer, being a JAG officer was uh, was a, a better option as well. And so I, the first letter of acceptance I happened to get was from the University of Arkansas, and I sent my I'd worked my way through through college, so I sent my money in to reserve my seat, and then I took off and uh, worked at a resort in upstate New York. I'd been in I had I'd had a girlfriend who uh, unfortunately broke up with me, and so I was ready to kind of get out of Iowa anyway. So, so I went and worked in upstate New York. And, and then came to Arkansas. So you never went into the Air Force? Oh, yeah. No, I was in the Air Force Reserves for six years. For six years. I decided to move to Little Rock and uh, wanted to be a trial lawyer. They didn't have any, didn't have any positions. And I, uh, I went to work for um, uh, Art Givens, who needed a law clerk for some research. He was a state representative at the time. And... Um, took the bar exam passed and then he said you know i can't pay you what you, what you should be making so he helped me get a job and i became a public defender so i got the trial experience and i became a public defender that's a bit of the background of mark stodola who was mayor of little rock for more than 10 years next let's hear about the beginning of warwick saban's professional life he ran for mayor of little rock three years ago in 2018 first things first you grew up in new york city uh-huh how did you wind up in Arkansas? Well, I mean, you, I always tell people there's a long story and a short story. I got to meet Bill Clinton between my junior and senior year of high school, and that was pretty enlightening to me. I'd never met a politician before. You know, New York's a lot different than Arkansas. You don't get, at least I didn't get exposed to politics. I never even met my state representative or my state senator, much less a congressman or a governor or mayor or anything like that. So to get to meet the president of the United States was pretty remarkable for a 16-year-old, and when I went back for my senior year of high school at the time, I just really wanted to go to an Ivy League school. You know, I worked really hard, you know, on my grades. And, but when I got you, a lot of, go ahead. When you went back to where? For my senior year of high school. Oh, okay. Yeah, just because, you know, we'd, I'd met Bill Clinton during the summer. Then you'd gone back to be your senior year in high school. Okay. Uh-huh. And then I was getting a lot of nice scholarship offers from different schools around the country. And one of them was Arkansas. And I was like, well, that's where Bill Clinton's from. I really like the, him. And so I'm, I bet I like that place. So... They were offering me a trip to visit Fayetteville, and I thought, you know, I'd like to check it out. And so I, I took the trip, and the truth is, I mean, I just fell in love with Fayetteville from the moment I got there. And even more importantly, I met a woman named Diane Blair, who you probably maybe knew at one point. She was a political science professor up there and been involved in so many different 
projects here in Arkansas. And she and I really hit it off. And she said, you know, if you come to school here, you know, I'll be your advisor. You can work at the White House in the summers because she Clinton. was good friends with the Clintons. And so, um, I mean, it, it was really more of a, a heart choice than a head choice for me because it just felt right in a way that I still can't even explain to this day. But um, I never looked back and decided to go to school, even though everybody back in New York was kind of wondering what was going on. Yeah, because you're probably a straight-A <laughs> student in New York City, and right. you're going to go to Podunk, Arkansas, they thought, right? and and into the mountains of the Ozarks. Mm-hmm. That was kind of what it was like. I mean, that's what they thought. But, you know, I'll tell you, I, I was the valedictorian in my high school, and when I gave my speech, kind of, you know, as a as a, what's the polite way to put it, as a kind of a... Oh, your, I don't know. In your face? In your face, thank you, uh, kind of thing. I, I quoted Fulbright, and I quoted Clinton. I quoted all these Arkansans in my speech when I was graduating because, you know, everybody, again, thought I was a little nutty to, to come down here, but it's been the best thing I could have ever done. Oh, we're so glad you did. Oh, uh, your dad's an artist in New York, right? That's right. I met your dad at your wedding. Yeah. Charming. Good guy. Yeah. Both, of your, both your parents are charming. Yeah, I'm a lucky guy. I've got great parents and a great brother and sister, too. Is he do that for a living? Does he get paid? Is he a... Yeah, I mean, you know, when he started out, kind of like you, he had to have a bunch of part-time jobs because, you know, he had actually gotten a law degree and he had been a lawyer and then kind of decided, I guess right around the time he was about 30 years old, that he wanted to be an artist. And so he definitely had to make ends meet at first, but then eventually kind of broke through. And, you know, as I was growing up, that's what he did for a living. So there's two of you gentlemen in your family that make decisions on the heart. That's a good point. That's mm-hmm. a good point. Yeah. I mean, it's not all heart. I mean, I think that, you know, there's, you know, obviously thinking through what you're going to do, but I think you do have to be willing to take risks and kind of follow your dreams too. That's exactly right. That's a sign of all successful people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the land of opportunity in little in Arkansas too, don't you think? I definitely, th- I've always thought that from the moment I got here and, and I think, you know, sometimes we don't realize how blessed we are to be able to um, have the access that we have to people. I mean, you know, when you th- you mentioned your experience, you're kind of paying it forward. You know, you're using everything that you learned and helping other people figure out how they can do the same kind of things. And and I found that exists everywhere in Arkansas. That that nobody will tell you that they won't sit down and talk to you. And a lot of people become mentors and they help help again pay it forward and and bring other people up behind them. While you were at the University of Arkansas, you started. You campaigned to have all the schools in the University of Arkansas system officially observe the federal holiday that honors Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. That's right. And you want to know why or yeah. how? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, you're how old are you? Eight, nineteen? Well, I mean, by the time I was student body president, I guess I was twenty. But you know, I had arrived in Fayetteville for my freshman year, and you know, we weren't celebrating Martin Luther King Day that, that freshman year of college, you know, 1994, 95. But you did up in New York? Yes, I grew up, you know, mm-hmm. we had the holiday. I mean, Arkansas, I found out, was one of the only states in the country that didn't celebrate it. And, you know, I thought that was odd for two reasons. One is it didn't correspond with what I knew about the people from Arkansas that I met who, you know, really were very tolerant and accepting and and so the image that the state had because it didn't celebrate the holiday to me didn't correspond with you know the people and so it gives us a bad reputation makes us look bad um and number two the university itself had this really good reputation it was the first southern university that admitted an african-american student back in 1948 when it admitted silas hunt into the law school So, and and a lot of people still don't know that to this day. I didn't know that, yeah. So, you know, I was like, okay, the university's got this great reputation. It actually was very progressive when it comes to um, that particular issue. So why aren't we commemorating the main civil rights leader of our nation's history? And so when I got to be student body president, I made that a big part of my platform. And and by the way, another thing that had occurred to me was, you know, knowing what I knew by then about how African-American students felt at the University of Arkansas. You know, I, I learned from talking to my friends that, you know, Fayetteville was a very different place. Lily white, barely any African-American, especially back in the 90s, there was yeah. hardly anybody there. So we really should be bending over backwards to do everything we can to fee- make the place more welcoming. Yeah. And by not commemorating Martin Luther King Day, to me, it just felt like we were not doing that. You also became the president of the Young Democrats in Fayetteville. Yeah, that was, that was before I was student body president. That's so right. you always knew that you wanted to be in politics, I guess. Well, yes and no. I mean, it was a, to be honest with you, it was a weird thing because when I was a kid, I loved to write. And so I thought I would definitely be in journalism. And this is like a theme that has repeated itself throughout my life because 
Um, first thing I did when I arrived at Fayetteville was I signed up to write for the newspaper. And that's what I did. I, I wrote for the newspaper the first couple of years, and I think I got pressed into getting into student government because my fraternity house needed a representative, and nobody wanted to do it. And they're like, work, you do it. So I did <laughs> You're it. You're an overachiever. You do it. Well, basically. And so they, they, you know, had me in there, and then the next thing I know, you know, a couple of years later, I'm running for student body president. But, um, you know, it, this has happened over and over again with me. Every time I, you know, basically try to get into journalism and writing, something else kind of sidelines me. But, you know, I did write for the Arkansas Times, as we'll probably get to, and I did get to publish the Oxford American, but... You um, you have a theme of writing. When I was reading about you, you have a definite theme of writing, and I kind of wondered why you were a politician. I can't yeah. believe you already got to that, because I was like, he's a writer. Why is he a politician? It just keeps kind of happening. You can't help it. I guess <laughs> it's in your destiny. Well, we'll see. That's Warwick Sabin, who lost the Little Rock mayoral election three years ago, to the man we'll hear from next, current mayor of Little Rock, Frank Scott. Your parents played a big part in your development. Tell us about your family and growing up in southwest Little Rock. Well, being born and raised and still residing in southwest Little Rock, um, you definitely understand uh, the differences, uh, particularly when I was a banker as well, uh, leaving southwest Little Rock, driving down to Ranch Drive and, and seeing um, the differences in how development had erupted uh, amongst our city uh, and the need for a greater focus on development in every area of our city to ensure uh, that there were no haves and have-nots. And so that's been a uniting vision, a vision of growth and transformation for the entire city as we all grow together. I'm excited uh, that I've had uh, the roots of my, both my parents to play a large role in my development and seeing how their journeys in life have helped me uh, become the first college graduate in our family on both sides of the family. Uh, and so coming from modest means, uh, uh, it is truly uh, by God's grace and mercy uh, that I stand here today as the state's capital city mayor. Your father was a firefighter? He was a retired firefighter. I thought he was a Baptist preacher. No, <laughs> that's me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that came down through the family. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> You said I, I, I'm the only one in the family. <laughs> you said my mother is definitely the backbone of our family with what she has persevered in life. What do you mean by that? Well, she was a young teenage mother uh, when she had my older sister, and I came shortly after that. Uh, and so, if you understand uh, the sacrifices that she's made for our entire family, uh, it's unbelievable, and the things that she's persevered through, and she's truly demonstrated not only work ethic but reliability, dependability. Uh, that has poured into not only my life, but my siblings' life. And uh, without her and, of course, my father, I wouldn't be the man I am today. Uh, but I definitely key into um, a young single mother and what she was able to do and persevere through has truly built uh, the character in my life. Uh, how, how much is teenage pregnancy a problem in Little Rock? Well, I think it's not just necessarily a problem in Little Rock. It's something that we're seeing across the nation when we're having uh, children having children, and, and, and many times when you see different things, it's, we want to do our best to uh, ensure that there are wraparound services for everyone to ensure uh, that they have the positive movement. Wraparound services. I like that term. Is that, did you make that word up? No. <laughs> you said on your website, I read your whole website. I've I can a, tell. <laughs> I've got a million quotes from your website. You said that speaking about your parents, they sacrificed to raise you and your siblings with values of faith, hard work, community and self-determination and that this foundation helped you like you just said become the first person in your family to graduate college you went to college at the university of memphis and you also said on your website it really changed your life and what how did it do that uh reason many people who uh, know me and some who don't uh, know that i'm an introvert what uh, that knows how to turn it on from time to time but i'm clearly an introvert and so i was a shy kid young teenager at the time and uh, I really kind of came into my own and understanding myself in college and that really kind of drove uh, uh, really kind of expounded upon uh, the public service that was inside me that I didn't I wasn't aware of when I would go and all of the church community services that I would go when my mother would drag me to it as a young kid uh, growing up in Little Rock when we were at Greater Second Baptist Church and so when you see that and you know that I didn't know I had it in me until I got into college and really I figured out what I was most passionate about, and that was to give back and to give to others. And so uh, that played a large role in me understanding uh, and having that confidence that I didn't know was there. It empowered you. It did. So you know uh, Kristen Lynch called you 
an old soul. And your classmates uh, called you Mr. University of Memphis. Where'd you get that from? <laughs> I don't know. I found it somewhere online where he quoted calling you an old soul. I am. <laughs> you went and got a master's from Fayetteville. University of Arkansas at Little Rock. Oh, and I loved this part about you when I read about you. This is when you became endeared to me because I love ballet. You took ballet from michael tisdale uh tidwell yeah i took it seven years uh and uh i've been known uh, to understand ballet and jazz and hip-hop and modern dance and i know the difference between isadora duncan and jinsky and and (laughs) having haley and judah jameson so yeah you've won us over now (laughs) uh, i know what a plie and a fondue i cannot believe it Uh, first second third and fourth position You still live and preach in Southwest Little Rock and attend a church there. Why is that important to you? Uh, It's my my personal calling is to preach and teach uh, the gospel. I love it. That's the mayor of Little Rock, Arkansas, Frank Scott. On this special edition of Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, we're calling the program Stodla, Saban, and Scott. Interesting perspectives from three men who were Little Rock mayor, are Little Rock mayor, and wanted to be Little Rock mayor. Next up, we'll take a look at some of the ideas these three men had, starting with former mayor of Little Rock, Mark Stodola, right after the break. You're listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy, a production of FlagAndBanner.com. Over 40 years ago, with only $400, Carrie founded Arkansas Flag and Banner. During the last four decades, the business has grown and changed, along with Carrie's experience and leadership knowledge. In 1995, she embraced the Internet, and rebranded her company as simply flagandbanner.com. In 2004, she became an early blogger. Since then, she has founded the nonprofit Friends of Dreamland Ballroom, began publishing her magazine, Brave, and in 2016, branched out into this very radio show, YouTube channel, and podcasts. In 2020, Carrie McCoy Enterprises acquired ourcornermarket.com, an online company specializing in American made plaques signage, and memorials for over 20 years. If you'd like to sponsor this show or get involved with any of Carrie McCoy's enterprises, send an email to me, gray, at gray at flagandbanner.com. Telling American-made stories, selling American-made flags, theflagandbanner.com. You're listening to a special edition of Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. I guess you could call it a mayor's roundtable. Our guests are Mark Stodola, Warwick Sabin, and Frank Scott. Stodola was mayor, Sabin ran for mayor, and Scott is the mayor. Let's go through all three gentlemen's ideas about running a city like Little Rock, Arkansas. Beginning with former mayor for 10 years plus, Mark Stodola. A few items that were on his mind about the city of Little Rock when he was mayor. Crime, the AmeriCorps system, our airport and a possible Amazon distribution center. Let's hear what he had to say back then. The Department of Justice recognized you nationally for your innovative juvenile diversion program. What was that? Well, it was um, a program where we would actually take uh, kids that were in trouble, and as a prosecutor, I'd make a decision on deferring their charges uh, so that they did not have a record, but they would come before a juvenile peer panel of, of kids of similar age, who had been in trouble themselves. And so it was um, a process where uh, you, had, you, could, you didn't admit you were guilty, but you had to accept the responsibility for the conduct that brought you before the panel. And you were judged by your peers. And they would listen to the story. They listened to what happened, um, which is actually a criminal activity. Uh, you'd usually have a police officer who'd testify about it as well. And then that peer panel would fashion a punishment and it was, uh, and usually, the fascinating thing is they usually were tougher than the juvenile judges were in many Ooh. respects. So they'd, they'd, fun, they'd come forward with some sort of probationary process where they do community service work, they do those kinds of things. Um, we had the panels at Watershed, we had them at a couple of the schools and things like that. But the, the, the secret to it all was that the panel was made up of people who'd been on the other side before. They'd done, that, they'd done something wrong. They'd gone before the panel. They did their they did their community service work, and then the the one requirement that everyone absolutely had is they had to also then sit on a panel, and judge 
a kid that was going to come before them. And pay forward what they learned. And and it really, really put a level of responsibility and understanding in them that they never, ever would have appreciated otherwise. But you're talking about some history here. I mean, uh, certainly back then we had a big gang issue, and um, so we needed uh, some additional legislation there. Was that about the time <clears throat> the movie, the documentary about Little Rock came out? Well, back in 1993, and those, we had all of the gang, you know, we had a big gang issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, much different than today, by the way, but, but still... Uh, using the the word gang uh, is the common vernacular between the the two timelines uh, but then it was it was much different it was based on colors geography criminal activity crips and the bloods crips bloods folks vice lords you name it um, you know I had a gang prosecution unit they had to learn gang language gang signs um, the territories uh, you know we had a biggest challenge was trying to keep keep our witnesses alive between the time of the incident occurred and when they had to testify. So I received a, a big grant nationally from um, the Corporation for National and Community Service called the AmeriCorps folks. Oh. And we're going to have 30 AmeriCorps kids in our most troubled, challenged, hotspot neighborhoods. We've got seven of them that we've identified. And they're going to be working all year long helping those neighborhoods. They're going to be helping improve the houses that people live in. They're going to be doing energy efficiency. They're going to do improved safety checks. They're going to be trying to create neighborhood watch programs and be working with our housing and our COPP officers uh, and really trying to transform those neighborhoods. You know, the one nice thing about that is that these AmeriCorps kids, uh, and it's not just kids. we got a couple of older people that are in there too, uh, but it gives them the opportunity for a $5,000 uh, college or extra uh, educational uh, attainment type certificate if they want uh, to a college uh, to Pulaski Tech or to whatever trade school they might want to go to a $5,000 stipend that goes with that if you complete your year of work in AmeriCorps so I heard that you put in a bid to for Little Rock to become an Amazon distribution center <laughs> is that a rumor is that true well we've uh, we're talking about it uh, we don't meet the technical requirements of uh, the of the request and everybody's tripping over themselves about this and spending a lot of money and a lot of time on it we we're uh, we're going to approach this in a unique way let me put it like that what does that mean i'm not going to tell you oh it's a secret well we are in a great location we're centrally located for a distribution center but we don't have an airport well we don't have transit we don't have an international airport but That's I mean, what we don't if have you, an international uh, airport. if you have an amazon i can we have plans for an international airport we do so, yeah we do since when well, you can have Ron Matthew on, and he can tell you all about it. Our our, our airport director, but yeah, we've got plans for uh, we got plans. They can build it. They just need to have the airlines that want to come here and oh. and fly to these foreign cities. So I, I suspect that if if Amazon for some reason decides they want to come to Little Rock, Arkansas, you can bet for sure that we will have an international airport. I don't know if that makes me happy or sad because I love coming to the Little Rock Airport and just walking straight to the gate. But then again, I hate all the the you have to have a layover everywhere you, you go. You know, when you look at the when you look at the request for proposal, it's a little incongruent. They you know, they want the they want the twenty four seven walkability kind of things that you talk about downtown, but they also want you know, they want to build out on a hundred acres. Well, you're not going to find a hundred acres in, in downtown Little Rock. You're not, you're not going to find that. You're, lucky. you're not going to find you. The only way you're going to find that is in a greenfield site. And they've mentioned that they'll be looking at greenfield sites too. Um, and what do you mean but, but by we've greenfield We've got a lot of site. qualities. We what do you mean by greenfield site? One that needs uh, to be one, demolished. One that one that doesn't have anything on it. Oh, okay. One that's site ready but doesn't have any buildings on it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we understand that we don't meet the technical requirements, but it's an exercise. It's an opportunity for us to pull together for businesses like an Amazon, these businesses of the future, for us to pull together what our real talent base is. And it's been really exciting to for me to get the emails and the information from UA Little Rock, from UCA, uh, from a lot of our our technology businesses and the talent pool that we've got and so when you begin to see these kind of things it opens up the door probably for many many other opportunities for economic development so there's a real salutary benefit above and beyond whether amazon would ever think to come that's here. that's right you're, you're putting it all together making you think yeah. and getting your creative eyes together and then you can start looking for more grants or opportunities for other people Mark Stodola, former mayor of little rock arkansas thinking back to the items that were on his to-do list 
and his wish list during his tenure as mayor of Little Rock 2007 to 2018. We're looking back at uh, people who were mayor of Little Rock, wanted to be mayor, and our mayor in Frank Scott. And now we're at to Warwick Sabin. What kind of ideas did he have? What was important to him when he ran for mayor in 2018? What I love about public service is what I love about all the things that we've been talking about. It's the ability to do good for your community, the ability to scale up an idea. Um, you know, to me, I, I don't, I can't live in a place and not want to make it a better place and not want to, you know, create more opportunity for others. And to me, you know, public service is one of the best ways to do that. So you have, I went to your website and mm-hmm. I looked at your real results page and yeah. you have things that you've done. Ethics reform is mm-hmm. a biggie. Uh, jobs and entrepreneurship we've talked about energy government transparency education what I'm proud of first of all is that you know I came into the legislature in the minority it's actually the first time the Democrats have been in the minority in 138 years and my first term uh uh-huh it was 51 49 in the house my second term it was 64 36 and now in my third term it's 76 24 so I'm in a super minority now so all throughout there I was working in the minority yet I was able to pass all of this significant legislation that you were talking about that you can see on my website and and I'm proud of all of it because it all is again part of creating more opportunity for people in the state and you know whether it's again you know creating a new energy economy whether it's you know making our government more transparent and more ethical or whether it's uh, making it easier to start a business or um, you know kind of grow a business here in the state I mean that's really what's been motivating me and I think when you have good ideas and you can work well with other people and you can convince them of the merits of those ideas and you can get stuff done no matter what party you're in and all of that. You've been known for being able to work across the table on these important issues, which you just talked about. Uh, I had some quotes somewhere about how you were written up as the up-and-coming freshman in the, in the house. Um, so how are you able to do that? Why can you work across the aisle and nobody else can? Well, I don't know if anybody else, I mean, I think there are a lot of people who can, I mean, to be honest with you, I, I just think, you know, a lot of it is just about having the patience, again, to listen to other people, um, to not always think that you have all the answers going into it. I mean, you can do your research and you can be prepared, but you also have to be willing to be flexible. And that's how our system was designed. Um, but I do think, you know, a lot of it, like you said, also, is just the hard work. Mm-hmm. I think people respect you when they see that you've put the time and effort in and that, you know, I always tell people when it comes to the legislature, but also everything else I do, I never regret that extra meeting or that extra phone call. Um, cause sometimes that's how the deal is done. You know, so I think sometimes people get tired of, um, working on an issue cause it gets frustrating and, you know, they think, Oh, if we can't just come to agreement right here, then let's just throw our hands up and walk away. But you know, there's some of these issues, you know, I had to meet, you know, many, many times with people, until we got to the point where we could make it happen. But then we did it, and we got it done, and that's what we're here to do. I have a quote from you on your website. (laughs) It says, I'm running for mayor because Little Rock has been standing still for too long. While we see other dynamic southern cities leading the way with fresh ideas, our leadership has just settled for the status quo. It's time for that to change. Most everything you said today, somebody came to you and asked you if you would take a job. You have, I don't think you've ever applied for a job in your life. Uh, even running for congressman, somebody came to you and said, I think you'd be good at this position. Did someone come to you on the mayor and say, I think you'd be good to this? Or did you just, dis- there's this one that you just think, I'd be great at this and decided to do. So I love that question because I'd never really ever thought about it that way. And that's really interesting. Um, this one definitely came from me and in fact almost the opposite happened because when i just when it got made known that i was looking at this people were like why would you want to be mayor you know you've already been in the legislature and isn't that a step down to go from state government city government but see i've never seen it that way at all because to me you know all of the most innovative public policy in the united states right now is happening in the cities you know congress right now is dysfunctional they're not getting anything done in washington state government is hard too i can tell you from being there three terms but if you look around the country, like I said, there's all this really you know, exciting stuff happening at the city level. And then with Little Rock being our state's largest city, our capital city, our center of commerce, our center of media, all of that, the opportunity to do some really great things here is huge. And then you know, being mayor, you're in an executive position, so you can 
really set a policy agenda. You can really get out there and work with people every day. And so for me, like the job itself sounds so exciting. And it was definitely something that I, nobody really came to me about. But I said, you know, this is really what I want to do. I feel very prepared for it. Um, what's the first thing you want to do when you get in office? That is a great If you get in office. Well, there are lots and lots and lots of things I want to do. So I don't know what the first thing would be. I mean, we have definitely have to have a plan in place to get the crime situation under control in the city. And I think that there are a lot of, you know, great things that we can kind of put into place to do that. Um, I think we need to have a strong effort uh, to support our public schools here in Little Rock. And I've got a lot of ideas about how we can bring people together to partner with the school district, create some plans, you know, make sure we're getting an elected school board back in place, but give people the confidence that we are going to get our schools in a place where people don't want to move out of the city or, you know, feel like they need to put their kids in private schools. Do you like charter schools? Well, I don't think we need to wage any kind of battle against charter schools. I think what we need to do is focus on making our public schools the very best that they can be. And I think if we put our effort and our time into that, that, um, you know, the other problem kind of takes care of itself. What's the answer to crime? We had the police chief on this radio show Mm -hmm. about, I don't know, six months ago or something, and he said, it's not us. He said, people, it's you know, we can't be parents to everybody. He said, parents have to parent their children, Mm -hmm. and they want the cops to be parents. And he said, we can't be parents. Well, it's not a good enough answer, though, because, you know, the, the reason why human beings organize themselves as units in the first place, like the beginning of politics thousands of years ago, was to ensure their own safety. I mean, it's basically safety in numbers. So the first priority of any government is the protection of its people. And so we have got to get the public safety piece right. Right now, it's hard to recruit people into the city um, to live here, Um, number one, because of our crime problem. Number two, people don't feel safe. People are getting hurt. You know, we've got two problems. On the enforcement side, we allowed our police, you know, to have too many vacancies to where they're spread too thin and literally could not respond to the criminal activity that was happening. Uh, We cut back on community policing, which was an outstanding strategy that worked really well in Little Rock, helped us get our crime rate down the last time. Did we cut back on it because we're just understaffed? No, we cut back on it just because the decision was made. I mean, there was no reason to understaff the police in the first place, and there's no reason to cut back on community policing. And, And we need to, you know, make sure that we're back on that. We need more coordination among city departments so that it's not just the police that are, you know, in essence responding to spikes in criminal activity, but it's code enforcement when in certain neighborhoods abandoned houses are being used for criminal activity, or it's, you know, when there's a lack of lighting or or a lack of youth programs that are keeping kids off the street. I mean, we have the ability through good leadership to marshal the resources necessary to address crime where it occurs, but we need to have these measures in place. We need to be working with the state government to lower the caseloads for our parole officers, which are the highest in the country right now. What about the homeless? Seems well, like that's a lot. Well, that's a big issue. But again, I think we can take that on through better coordination among all of the resources that exist already in the city. Because, you know, one of the things I, t- I talk to a lot of the folks that are involved with the nonprofits, the religious organizations, the government agencies that are all addressing different parts of the, the homelessness problem. And one thing they say, you know, the city could really do is help create more awareness of the resources that exist, you know, which helps, you know, kind of increase access to them. And then once we understand the universe of services that are there, you know, the the city itself can maybe fill some of the gaps that, you know, aren't being filled, like maybe, you know, around temporary housing for people who just need a place to go to get back on their feet so they can have a place to live and get clean so they can go look for a job and all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, people are homeless for different reasons. That's right. Sometimes they, you know, are evicted from their home Sometimes they lose a job. Sometimes they've got a health problem or a mental health problem or they're trying to escape domestic abuse. And if you take each, you know, person as a human being and you're able to, again, get them access to those services that in many cases already exist in the city, they just don't know they're there or don't know how to get to them, you know, the city can help do that. And it's worked in other cities around the country. So the police will... The police know all the homeless people. So the Mm -hmm. police go up to the homeless person that they know and because they know their issues could probably take them to somewhere that's part of it but actually you know if we had street teams that weren't actually the police um, that were doing some of that work I think that would take some of the burden off the police I think that's important for us to be able to do here in Little Rock is to not criminalize homelessness and not try to just push people out of sight but to actually you know more efficiently get them what they need so that they are not homeless anymore Some of the thoughts that Warwick Sabin, candidate for Little Rock mayor in 2018, had during his campaign. He lost the election to this man, Mayor Frank Scott. 
Let's hear some of his thoughts on being the mayor of Little Rock. Uh, once you were sworn in, what was the first thing you noticed? Was there was everything as you thought it would be? Was there a big surprise? Well, I would say when we first walked into office, there were no big surprises. Uh, we clearly did not um, think or know that uh, down the road that we would experience uh, a historic flood. Uh, we didn't think we would experience a global pandemic. We didn't think we experienced social and civil unrest. We didn't think we would experience, as a result of George Floyd, uh, across the nation. We didn't think we would experience um, a historic snowstorm. All of that has happened uh, over the past two and a half years. As I often tell people, I'm just right, waiting for locusts and flies to come. <laughs> <laughs> does feel like we're getting close. Uh, so what was the first thing that you decided to do? Well, I do know what it is. Just uh, weeks into office, you made some big decisions. You implemented a new organizational structure to City Hall. That seems risky. And why did you feel that was the right thing to do? Well, uh, the city yearned to have a mayor uh, to operate within its uh, legal law that the mayor is the chief executive officer of the city of Little Rock. Uh, and so for quite some time, that had not been implemented. Uh, and so uh, we campaigned and every candidate uh, that campaigned in 2018 campaigned that the mayor would adhere to its ordinance that was passed in 2007 where the mayor was chief executive officer. And so uh, within the first couple of weeks, uh, we implemented that, that plan. We also implemented our act plan, which means to be accountable, clear and trans, uh, transparent and all things that we do. Uh, and so uh, we wanted to focus on organizational change so we can obtain transformation and so we want to ensure that City Hall operated with performance management, uh, but also to ensure that residents received uh, great customer uh, service, uh, communications, and that we had the ability to advocate and execute on change management. So what if you, you if you weren't the commander in chief, so to speak, of, of the city of Little Rock, what, what, what were you doing before 2007? What were the mayors doing before 2007? Well, uh, the, I wouldn't say what the mayors were doing in 2007. They were just operating on their different structure. And so we uh, those what did, what did you call yourself after you became mayor? Uh, chief executive officer. So what were they before that? Well, they were just a chief elected officer. Uh, and so uh, where they weren't operating within uh, true operation management and leadership, uh, and it's nothing against them. It's just how the law was uh, spelled out at that period in time. And so yeah. there were certain changes that uh, had taken place. And so we implemented those changes that have been put on the books back in 2007. Uh, you said one of your most important decisions was the hiring of police chief Keith Humphrey from Norman, Oklahoma. Why was that so important? Well, uh, public safety is a top priority. Uh, you can't be a mayor of any city if public safety is not a top priority. And so back in that period of time, um, because that was one of the first decisions I had to make in, I believe, in April 2020. Uh, and so we wanted to ensure that we hired a police chief that was going to be focused not only on public safety, uh, but also community-oriented policing. Uh, and so when we made that decision, we wanted to ensure that we built trust back uh, with the community, but also demonstrated accountability uh, and, and on both ways. And so that's where we've seen a number of different things uh, that have changed within the police department to take us to the 21st century and 21st century community police. And I'm very excited about that. Like what? Like the no knock war? You got rid of the no knock warrants, right? So one of the things is that, uh, as you re recall, uh, the city was under a lot of different investigations and had made national news in 2017. For what? Uh, because of the kind of ar arbitrary uses of no-knock warrants. And oh. uh, and some uh, would say it just got us in a lot of litigious uh, issues. And so we implemented a no-knock warrant policy that significantly reduced uh, the arbitrary usage of those. And then secondly, uh, it included a threat matrix uh, as well, which became – uh, one of the top tier um, community oriented policing models that have been modeled across the nation now. And then secondly, what's uh, a threat matrix? Uh, it's a matrix that determines when you should use it and when you should not. And so it kind of certain things have to be done to kind of dictate the usage of it, of, of, uh, of the no, not warrant. Oh. And so uh, those kind of boundaries were put in place to protect against the litig litigious nature of some of the lawsuits we were receiving um, from the community. Uh, on how they were being used. But then secondly, um, we were able to implement from our accountable, clear, transparent plan. Uh, Little Rock became the first uh, city in Arkansas to obtain uh, body-worn cameras. Uh, and so it's hard to believe that, uh, you know, we other cities didn't have it. And it's even harder to believe that the state capital city didn't have it either. And so we were able to implement that. 
and then a host of other uh, policies that have been put in place that uh, focus on 21st century community-oriented policing. This is another one you did. You did a 5% increase in sales tax collections, resulting in $4 million more in the city treasury. You did collections on sales tax. Look, he's nodding. It's the radio. You can't nod. <laughs> well, uh, exactly. We have to. We, we responded with more growth uh, through the economic growth, and so uh, with more jobs means more sales tax revenue, uh, and more jobs means more discretionary income for our residents uh, to provide for their sam- families and to provide for the businesses that they are uh, serving. Yeah, we've got a surplus in sales tax, not nearly enough. Uh-huh. Um, uh, what is this one? We've now- seen growth. Uh, in sales tax, I, I want to make sure when we use that word, it's not a surplus of money. It's showing that we've increased services through jobs and more purchases have been made because more people have jobs to go out and make purchases. I gotcha. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people go out of the city of Little Rock also to purchase. They they, they used to always come to the city of Little Rock. Um, and so everybody would drive in to Park Plaza or to shop in Little Rock. But and I think what's really happened now is more online purchases is what we're seeing everywhere. Um, but we're, we're st- keeping a steady growth because, as I shared earlier, our population increases on another 100,000, almost the size of Nashville. Isn't that crazy? Just during the workday. Just during the workday. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. Plans for a National Opportunity Zone Conference to highlight Little Rock. What does that mean? The federal government issued Opportunity Zones. Uh, opportunity Zones is a... The simplest way for those uh, in the business world, it's a expanded 1031 exchange. It's We're, kind of what the HUD zone used to be. Exactly, or empowerment zones. And I so gotcha. that happened in uh, August of 2019. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we were able to start an Opportunity Zone Task Force to increase development in the Opportunity Zone. So one of, and that was kind of the precursor to our Asher Avenue revitalization plan, as well as our South of 630 east of 30 economic incentive packages to increase growth in those low to moderate income census tract areas. Okay. Uh, and so we're trying to make sure that we grow in every area of our city, uh, whether it's College Station or Chenal Valley, Absolutely. Uh, Panky or Pleasant or Pleasant Valley. We want to make sure that it's happening. And so that opportunity, I think you're referring to that happened in August of 2019. And that was the precursor to our announcement in August of 2020 for the Asher Avenue Revitalization Plan. We actually, I know you're familiar with Immerse Arkansas, was one of the first organizations to take advantage of that plan. Um, they recently just opened on Asher Avenue. We're getting ready to demolish the old advanced auto on Asher Avenue, which has been a, a place, a haven for crime. Um, and so we, we're making sure that we're seeing growth in every area. Uh, and just like we've, what we've seen with the Costco in West Little Rock, we want to see growth in on Asher, we want to see growth. Banks on, don't want to go down there. Well, that's the reason why we have the opportunity zones, and we're making sure that we've been working with banks. So that's the reason why we had banks and bankers on our opportunity zone task force, and that's the reason why you're starting to see more uh, development. So I wouldn't say banks don't want to go there because there are a, a number of different banks, even uh, that are now super focused on uh, empowerment zones, opportunity zones, and also what they call CRA. And so there's a lot of uh, investment that's going. And so there's more work to be done. uh, And that's the reason why we've been so focused on uh, investment in every area, but also the particular areas of low to moderate income. One more quick break on the program, and then we'll be back with a final word from Stodola, Sabin, and Scott. This unique up in your business program with Kerry McCoy looking at the mayoral tenure of Mark Stodola for more than 10 years, mayor of Little Rock, Warwick Sabin, who ran for governor in 2018, and our current governor, Frank Scott. Back after this word. It's that time of year. Honor your veterans. And flagandbanner.com has an opportunity for you to save some money as you do that. Site-wide, you can save 15% with the code VET15 up until November 2nd. On wonderful ideas like military gifts, military indoor flag kits, service star flags and banners, military grave markers, all kinds of support our troops' flags. Site-wide means you can do lots of shopping and choose lots of different ways to honor your veterans. And right now, through November 2nd, save 15% off site-wide by using the code VET15. Now some parting thoughts from our guests on today's program, Mark Stodola, Warwick Saban, and Frank Scott. First up, an interesting question from Kerry McCoy to Mark Stodola. When you're the mayor and your time is completely taken up by the job, how do you relax? 
You know, you get a little bit of downtime. I'm usually, I, <laughs> I'm usually, it's usually at about 11 o'clock at night, and uh, I try to get to watch the news, uh, although I can get it on my, on my phone. I can get it on my phone now, so it's not like I can't watch it. Uh, and I, you know, I'll either watch uh, one of the late night comedians or um, I kind of like American Pickers <laughs> on the History really? Channel. Yeah. And, um, and so uh, sometimes I watch that. Um, I've got a bike. I got actually two bicycles, so I like to like to get on a bike. Uh, I'm not on it as much as I'd like to be. I need to get on it more frequently. Look what I got. Carrie? What? Oh, I get a flag. You get a desk set. A desk set of flags. <laughs> yeah. And there's Arkansas. And what's that? It's Iowa. So <laughs> yeah, you get your. I was your... back there for a reunion the other day. I did not recognize anyone. And I, needless to say, I'm sure they didn't recognize me. As for mayoral candidate in 2018, Warwick Saban, Kerry summed up his personality. You're a problem solver. I do like to solve problems. I can tell. You're like, oh, give me the city of Little Rock. You're like rubbing your hands together. I want to solve the problem. <laughs> One word to sum you up. Um, determined. Like it. I've got a present for you. Oh, that is so cool. It's a desk set. I know exactly what that is. And that's uh, the United States in the middle. Uh-huh. Arkansas, because you love it. And New York, where you were born. That's really cool and very thoughtful. Thank, Thank you. You're welcome. I love that. Nobody's ever done that for me before. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. You're so interesting. I look forward to being <laughs> your friend forever. Thank you. Thanks again, Warwick. You're Thank all you. Warwick Saban. Good this luck. Fun. And finally, a couple of thoughts from our current mayor, Frank Scott. What do you want your citizens to take away from this interview? You, we all continue to take pride in our city, uh, and we want to focus on unity, growth, and transformation. You said earlier uh, what the preferred way is to connect with your citizens. You have social media, and what did you say your social media was? Uh, social media on Twitter at Frank Scott Jr., Instagram at Frank Scott JRLR, Facebook at Frank Scott Jr., uh, LinkedIn at Frank Scott Jr. If you send a smoke signal, we'll respond. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. On. Thank Gosh, you so much. I always enjoy. I could talk to you <laughs> forever. Well, I'll send you again at you know hopefully one day at yeah. Trinity. <laughs> oh yeah, I'll see you again. Yeah, I tell our listeners I saw you preach at Trinity. He didn't have one note. <laughs> he never looked down at a note, and it was off the chart good. I've seen you speak a lot. You're really good. I brought Thank you a you. gift. Oh wow. Now, I don't know if I'm being a traitor to Arkansas, but this is a Tennessee flag because you went to Memphis State. Oh. So it's a U.S. flag and an Arkansas flag and a Tennessee flag desk set for you to take. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you. You're thank welcome. You. <laughs> In closing, to our listeners, thank you for spending time with us. We hope you've heard or learned something that's been inspiring or enlightening and that it, whatever it is, will help you up your business, your independence, or your life. I'm Carrie McCoy, and I'll see you next time on Up In Your Business. Until then, be brave and keep it up. You've been listening to Up In Your Business with Carrie McCoy. If you'd like to sponsor this show or any show, email me. That's G-R-A-Y at flagandbanner.com. Carrie's goal is simple, to help you live the American dream.